Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. I am your host, Matt Shockey, and sitting across from me, as always, is Jeff Hudson. And before we get started, we have to put the beer into History, Politics, and Beer. And, of course, that is Jeff's job. And But this week, I noticed that we don't have beer, Jeff. What do we got going? Well, we have some Jim Beam honey here. And uh, we had honey before. Yeah, we did. We had wild turkey we had honey. Wild turkey honey. Uh, yeah. I was going to do an AB comparison here, and part of the reason I bought this is it's good to drink a little bit. I'm I'm using it today for its medicinal purposes. I can hear you. You you got a little. We we were going to record this podcast like a couple three or four days ago, but Jeff, you were sick. I had the slow consumption killing me. <laughs> the slow consumption <laughs> killing me by degrees. I feel like we just like we should like it's Wyatt Earp in yeah. the Wild West. Well, I think it's time for to drink All the right, Jim Beam go. honey. Jim hmm. Beam honey. Let's take a swig. It's good. It's good. I don't think it has as much honey as the wild turkey. It, I, I think I like this a little bit better than the wild turkey. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a little partial to the wild turkey. Okay, but this is a good drink. Oh yeah, I'm, we're, I'm definitely know? going to enjoy this yeah, during our podcast today. If you're, if you're you know, it's got pneumonia or something, it's going to make you feel better. <laughs> Medicinal purposes. All right, so we'll enjoy this, and uh, as we. Uh, uh, enjoy the podcast. Absolutely. All right. So um, just so happens before we get started on the main topic today, which is going to be talking about the Covington incident and what happened in Washington, D.C. with that Catholic school from Kentucky, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the government shutdown. I think we peaked out at 32 days. Was it? No, it was the longest one in history. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and today, um, today is Friday. What is it? The 25th, 26th, 25th. 25th. So it's Friday, uh, the 25th, January. And just today, Trump announced that we are going to, quote unquote, temporarily open the government back up for three weeks. Well, I think he's taken up the Democrats had made an offer, Nancy okay. Pelosi, that, that saying, let's open up the government and we can negotiate about the wall and funding for border security uh, without sort of holding the government hostage. And he he's agreed to that. And, and, you know, I think maybe one of the reasons he's agreed to that is – uh, for the first time, uh, last day or two, uh, air traffic controllers have not been uh, have been calling in more, and it's caused flight delays in LaGuardia and so forth. And, and they start to really throw a wrench in a you know a huge business like that. And they also came out today, the air traffic controllers, and said that we're messing with safety. Um, these people have thousands of people, and literally almost in the palm of their hands. And now you're putting them under undue stress of not knowing when they're going to pay their bills. Um, so that was also on the news today. So today on social media, um, I saw a post that said, Nancy won Trump zero. What's your take on that post? Well, you, you know, they're, they're trying to spin this both ways. I, I, I think uh, Nancy Pelosi has uh, certainly stood up. And said, we're not going to fund the wall, which is her prerogative as Speaker of the House. Funding has to start there. 
it seems Trump has seen that he's going to have to negotiate this. Um, but I'm not sure it's a total uh, um, minus for Donald Trump. He's shown his base. He really, really wants to fight for border security. And his biggest applause line during the campaign was, I'm going to build a wall. And the wall was an actual wall he referred to. It was also a simple. We're going to, you know, really, really um, cut down on the number of immigrants coming across the border one way or another. Right. So, I, I, you And know, he still might get money for that. He's going to get some money, I do think. I mean, he is, you hear his language changing. He's using terms like smart wall. Um, he's saying things like, well, we don't need a wall that goes the whole 2,000 miles. Uh, just certain segments need to be – then he says, well, we can have a wall, a fence, or whatever you want to call it. So he is backpedaling a little bit off of this idea that we're going to have this huge structure that stretches 2,000 miles on the southern border. Um, and in the end, he's he might be able to say, well – I didn't get the wall I wanted, but look what we did get. The Democrats weren't going to do anything for you, and I was able to push them to get this. What other Republican president has been able to push Nancy Pelosi this far? Um, in the end, though, I do – I think it is a 1-0 uh, for Nancy to Trump. Um, Trump backed down. Uh, that's, what a, that's what a government shutdown is all about, who blinks first. And Trump blinked. His poll numbers were sinking. And he was down in the 30s now. He's losing support among non-college educated white males. That's the, his demographic. Right. That's and, and we start losing that demographic, um, there's problems. I think this base is still very solid. I don't see the base cracking uh, for Trump. But this was turning into a no win for Trump. It was a slowly death by a thousand cuts sort of thing. Every day this thing went on, he was losing support. And I think he cut his losses. He can go three, he can do three months, right? I mean, a month in that time frame. he can do the State of the Union address. He can sort of change the narrative during the State of the Union address about what he wants and then take a victory lap once he's able to negotiate something. So I think that he did the only thing that he could really do, um, except maybe declare a national emergency. But I think this was probably politically a smarter thing for him to do to open it up and negotiate. That was probably the correct thing. Yep. Well, I, I think uh, I think it's going to make Americans a little happier all the way around. So I agree. People going back to work, that's going to be a good thing. Okay, so let's hit the meat of the podcast uh, now. We were going to talk about immigration and, and tag last week's uh, pod, but the, something happened in the interim this week in Washington, D.C., uh, following the, the Right to Life March, which is an annual event happening in Washington every year on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Couple hundred thousand people show up and march uh, for the right to life and to hopefully get Roe v. Wade overturned. And what we have is we have a, a Catholic school from Kentucky shows up. Uh, they're on this. The march is over. They're on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and there's some African Americans there who are protesting loudly uh, and sort of using very foul language. Um, they are part of what group were they a part of? The uh, Black Hebrew Israelites. Right. And that's not a group I'm real familiar with, to be honest with you. Uh, but we'll talk more about them in a second. And so there's a little- well, you, you are neither black. For, for the record, neither one of us is black, Hebrew, or an Israelite. <laughs> so we wouldn't be familiar with that. No. So there's some yelling, not really yelling, but there's some certain language being thrown at these kids. Uh, they start chanting. And then in, in walks a Native American Tap, tapping on a drum. Right. Uh, he walks I'm up. Chanting. Right. And he walks up to one of the kids 
and they're standing really close together. And this is the video that's released. So you have this kid right almost nose to nose with the Native American, and it looks bad. The optics are bad. It looks like this kid is jeering um, this Native American, making fun of him. He has sort of a smart alley grin, so to speak. And the kids behind him seem to be anxious and seem to be saying some things. And then the Native American gentleman says, well, they were chanting, build the wall, build the wall. And the narrative then is, this is a bunch of white privileged kids wearing Make America Great hat again, chanting, build the wall to a Native American done deal the narrative yeah, a vietnam veteran he vietnam, was always identified oh as a vietnam veteran which, which I, makes it even worse makes it even worse but man this is for the political left this is a slam dunk uh this fits exactly in the little cubicle of the white guy in the make america great hat right and end a podcast uh, right yeah all right so uh well, well what happened to i mean i think i saw what most people saw is there's a picture uh, and, and this, the, I first saw it on a Facebook feed. That's because right. I'm old. You might have saw it on a. Well, I know. saw it on Facebook too. Okay, uh, but uh, you know, you could have seen it on Instagram, Daily Call, Twitter, uh, yeah, or on one blog. of the left wing yeah. sites, Daily Coast, or you know, HuffPost, uh, HuffPost. And what it was is, I think it was almost like a six, seven second. It wasn't very long. It was video. not long at all. We have a picture, and the picture is of uh, the, you see the face of the the smirking. Um, uh, guy. I now know him to be Nick Sandman. That's his his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the the young man. I think he's a sixteen year old. And 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 you see him and the older uh, Native American. You click on it, and then it shows them yelling. He's the Native American guy who I now know to be uh, uh, Nathan Phillips, I believe. Um, uh, you know, he's he's beating his drum and chanting. And some of the kids are seem to be chanting right. with him. Some of them seem to be yelling at him. It's almost like they're mocking him and then yelling at him at all the same time. Yeah, and you see a couple make a tomahawk chop. Right. So, I mean, if you just watch this, I think it looks bad. It looks absolutely. And uh, we talked about it, both being uh, um, uh, history and government teachers, and we've been, I don't know how many groups we've taken to Washington, D.C. And we both talked about it. The first thing you think is, where the heck are the chaperones during this? I right. mean, why isn't an adult supervising this? Because, you know, if I had students there, they would have not been in that confrontation. They would have, I would have told them to move and they would have moved away from the initial confrontation, which it turns out is between this, this group called the Black Hebrew Israelites and them. So they wouldn't even have been there when the Native Americans come along to get in between the two groups. No, it was a complete failure of the chaperones to let these kids in this situation. This is a very adult situation to be in. Um, being is a very emotional situation to be in. And you're expecting a six, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds to handle themselves appropriately when adults have a hard time handling themselves appropriately. I also put some blame, actually, on the fact that the school allowed them to wear their hats to begin with. Um, this is a right to life march. This is an issue march. We are marching against abortion. We're not marching for a political party. We're not marching for a a specific person. Um, You're taking a, a voice or light away from the issue and sort of pointing it towards Donald Trump. So I think we have two things happening there. Number one, the failure on the chaperones not to just to have them in that situation. And the idea that you even let them wear this political garb muddies the water to begin with. And so then it kind of you make yourself a target almost for to be misunderstood. 
Well, the, the only thing I'd say about the hats is, uh, and I do think the the adults should have told them that that might uh, be a flashpoint, and, and and they might have to expect some uh, criticism or you know some maybe some verbal abuse. Certainly, they shouldn't have expected what they got from the oh, absolutely. black Hebrew no, Israel. No, it was horrible. At the same time, in uh, in the United States, we have a freedom of speech, which includes symbolic speech. And you know the famous case of Tinker versus Des Moines right. where Mary Beth Tinker and her brother wanted to wear a black armband to symbolize on moratorium day, mm-hmm. symbolize their opposition to the war in Vietnam. They wanted to wear it to their high school. There were kids in that high school who had relatives who uh, who had been lost in Vietnam. And the, the school said, well, you know, this could be upsetting. And then they, uh, there were kids in that school who had – uh, brothers currently serving in Vietnam. I mean, that's not an outrageous argument not to to wear a black arm, something symbolizing the opposition to the war there that, that could cause a problem. But the Supreme Court said no. Uh, I think it was John and Mary Beth Tinker. Yeah, they had the right to wear that black armband, even though some of the other people might legitimately have taken offense at that. And so my problem with it, yeah, I, I, I never have liked that argument because you're wearing something, you had it coming in whatever context it right. is, you know. Uh, and I, I think the adults should have been made the kids more aware of what that might mean to people. For some people, not all people, but for some people, that is a absolute symbol of white supremacy. You're in a majority black city. This might not be a good idea. Somebody should have said that. At the same time, they had every right to wear those hats. Oh, absolutely. They have every right to wear it. And and not to expect to be harassed. Yeah. They absolutely have a right to wear something and they're being peaceful. My point was is that you're you're conflating two things. You're conflating Donald Trump as a president and the long-term issue that you've been marching since the 1970s. Um, of abortion. Absolutely. Absolutely. It it might not have been the smartest thing as far as getting the purity of your message out. Right. So I, anyway, so I I do think there was some failure on uh, the part of the chaperones and we both agree on that, but the media on this one, just this, this takes off. I don't know if it's mainstream media, if it was social media. It's hard to tell the difference now because there's, there's really no division between us. You're absolutely right. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, But we get this, you know, it spreads so fast that it becomes it, it becomes propaganda that it, absolutely that one side uses to just repeat over and over and over again to try to get this message across that this is a hate that this hat symbolizes hate this hat symbolizes racism bang look at this it's easy to see well you know there's there's one movie I used to show when I taught school uh, that that had Fritz Hippler talking about the principles of propaganda and let, let's just listen to this if we can. The secret of propaganda is to simplify complex or complicated things, to make them as simple as possible, as simple that even the less ingenious men can understand what I mean. Simplify. And then, if you had found the form which tells a complicated thing in the simplest way, when you have found this form. Then, secondly, repeat it. Repeat it every day. Simplify and repetition. That's 
It's a secret of modern propaganda. So we have Fred Sippler, uh, which is one of the propagandists for Adolf Hitler. Right. Uh, he is responsible for one of the most notorious um, propaganda films ever made, The Eternal Jew. If you really want a lesson in propaganda, uh, get on YouTube and watch that. And this is – have a message, simplify the message, and repeat over and over and over again. And this this incident, this incident and that beginning little small clip fits perfectly. Oh, it fits perfectly. You have the simplification of a complicated, and we'll talk a little more right. about that. And then because of the – what I refer to as the outrage machines. And by the way, it's not like the left has one and the right doesn't. I mean, it exists oh, on Oh, no, God. They all. Get, people get so bent out of shape. Everyone's a snowflake. Right, right, right. So, and 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 this uh, uh, social media is an outrage machine. And just the fact that I would see this on my Facebook, uh, somebody, you know, you have friends on Facebook. And a lot of times your friends share similar opinions. So you post it, okay? And they post Of course, you can repost that. And so it, here it goes out, ad infinitum, and that's just on that one platform. Right, and that's exponential. Yeah. Because you post it, then two people, then four, then eight, <laughs> and before you know it, it's carpet. It's a propaganda stream. It's what it is because you have the simple formula and the repetition. But, you know, life isn't really uh, simple like that. Uh, there's a, There were a lot of longer videos of what happened there and uh, at uh, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial – and they show something pretty much different uh, uh, than uh, – and, and they'll leave you with an impression that is different than that snippet that you might have originally uh, saw. First of all, there's an earlier confrontation between the boys from Covington and the black Hebrew Israelites. By the way, the black Hebrew Israelites are identified by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. So that's who they're dealing with there. And one of the things they do is yell out homophobic slurs. Uh, one of the black Hebrews yells out, your president is a homosexual. And the boys respond, some of them, who cares? Yeah, who cares? The black Hebrew continues, your president is a homosexual. You give faggots rights. The Bible condemns homosexuality. And one of the boys responds, they're still human. All right, there goes your liberal narrative right there. Out the window, because now you have these boys seeing these Catholic boys, Catholic boys seeing. I think you could see them if you wanted to just take that little snippet. What would you see? They're standing up for uh, gay rights, and, you know? and and they might they might not agree with gay marriage. That a lot of them probably don't. But they, what do they say? They well, saw them as humans. They saw them as human beings. Where they didn't think the other people were. Wow! But now there's another video. That records the Hebrews heckling the Native Americans, the group, because there, there was a, a protest for indigenous people that day. That's why the Native Americans were there. And uh, they call one of them an Uncle Tomahawk. Which, <laughs> that's okay, creative. That's creative. That, that is creative. It's funny, yeah. <laughs> but it's not nice. No, it is not nice, not even a little bit. And they go on to get a little nastier with them. They go, before you became an idol worshiper, you worshiped the true God. And that's why you had your land taken from you, because you worship everything except the most hot. So according to the black Hebrew Israelite, you know, the Native Americans had it coming because they didn't believe in God. Yeah, which is, you know, I guess probably what some white people would have said back in the day when they were busy taking the Native Americans' land. So you have this narrative, if you watch the whole thing, of the simple, the, the simplification of the narrative, which is people of color 
being picked on by terrible white bigoted right. boys. It just blow, it's just blowing up if you watch. It's it's not that narrative doesn't exist. No, it doesn't. And, and when you dig even deeper, what you're finding uh, is that the kids were chanting, um, but they were chanting to try to drown out the hate speech that they were hearing. And apparently they were just chanting um, school spirit things that they chant at a basketball game or they chant at a football game. Um, and when you go listen to the audio, I don't. I, I watched a good portion. It's an hour and a half. The, the, the oh, yeah, and there are several videos. I watched a good portion of it. Really at no time did I see any of the boys from Covington engaging in behavior that even begun to match what was being thrown at them. Um, as much as I may say that I don't think they should be in that situation, they were. And all in all, they, they performed rather well. They held their cool. They did not – I mean they, they were being uh, incited. There's no doubt about that. And they did not retaliate with racial slurs. They did not retaliate with hate. Uh, they retaliated like a teenager would with a, a chant from their high school. Um, but here's how – it even gets crazier not in the social media thing. So about how it fits a narrative. So I was um, on social media and after this happened, they were going to – they were posting all these pictures from Covington High School. And one of the pictures was of the bas- the boys' uh, basketball team. Did you see this picture? Yeah, I think right. so. Yeah. So they were, making, they were making an OK sign holding up three fingers. And apparently that's a white supremacy sign. So these boys were holding, making the OK sign, holding up three fingers with their arms above their head. And they say, look, they're, they're, they're flashing uh, the hate symbol. Or maybe their teammate just made a three-pointer. And it's that's a basketball how, game. And that's how you signal a three-pointer in basketball by putting your hands up, making the OK sign, and lifting three fingers. Yeah. It clearly has nothing to do with racism. But you can't even see that because that does not fit the narrative that you're talking about, right? And – no, they have to be the bad they have, guys. They have, they have to be, to the be bad, bad guys. guys. And you know what? As a teacher, they also can't, like, I think they act, especially uh, Sandman. He acts obnoxious toward the Native Americans. He's, he's kind of obnoxious, standing in his way. He's 16. And what I would say is, could there be some racism there? Sure. But he's also a 16-year-old. He's, he's taken a whole bunch of crap, and he hasn't really, you know, fought back. Now he's being confronted by this older guy, and you know he's going to stand up. He's that—that's the way I look at. It. He's a sixteen-year-old. Yeah. It's testosterone. He's not going to back down. Yeah, from that. so he's going to stand up and and be a, a you know is is it dumb? Is it obnoxious? Yeah. yeah. Well, he know? even says so in the interview. <coughs> he goes. He even says I, I should have walked away. It wasn't. I, he doesn't. He doesn't feel he has to say he's sorry. Yeah. But he also says if I had to redo it, obviously I would have walked away. Yeah. And not been in that situation. But, you know, he's surrounded by his buddies. Right. You know, anybody who's worked with young people has to see a little bit of what was going on there, too. Now, do I think that – this is not to say I don't think that, that the, you know, the MAGA hat can be and is seen by a lot of people as one of uh, uh, white supremacy. And that's because it's associated with a president who's made a lot of white supremacist remarks. I mean, we have to. But I don't, I don't, you know, if you're talking about a 16-year-old, do they know exactly what that symbol is? Oh, yeah, they know exactly. I'm not sure about that at all. No. I'm no, not sure they know not. the 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 whole connotations. There's a whole lot of people that have the Confederate flag, you know, put that on. And I've heard that compared to a Confederate flag. 
<clears throat> now, I don't think they're the same. I have more problems with the Confederate flag because as far as oh, I yeah, know, yes. soldiers wearing the MAGA hats haven't, you know, killed uh, <coughs> 300,000 yeah. yeah, Union soldiers. So I have more problems with the Confederate flag. But even that, I think, is a mixed symbol for a lot of people. A lot of people see it as a symbol of rebellion and and they don't know the full history of the Civil War. Now, should they know more about it? Yeah. Yeah. We should educate these people better. But I wouldn't assume automatically that somebody had a Confederate flag that he just hated black people. Well, what I always say about the Confederate flag, when I see someone flying the Confederate flag, <laughs> that's okay. I, I always say you're flying a racist symbol. You may not be a racist. I don't know if you're a racist or not, okay. but you need to know you're flying a racist symbol. If you don't know the history of the flag, forget the Civil War. Just look at the Civil Rights Movement. Right. right. And and absolutely, flying the Confederate flag is much more egregious than the MAGA hat. There's millions. Well, the MAGA of, hat was part of a political right. campaign. There's, it was successful. Are you saying that tens of millions of people voted for Donald Trump because they were racist? That that's ridiculous. Um, that's a very complex question. Or, or only because they were racist. Right. So. What I have a problem with the political right as well on this because the political right is jumping on this to exonerate every other wrong it seems has been done with this hat. See, you got these boys – you, you got it wrong with these boys. Therefore, you got it wrong every other time. Yeah, I mean they're saying you even you know, uh, called this guy a Vietnam veteran, the, right. the guy with the drum, and he's not a Vietnam veteran. You wanted to make everything look bad. And so that's just what you do all the time. And uh, the left wing does do that. Absolutely. But there's times where the right wing, if we want to call them the right wing, behaves really badly. I mean, this is, you know, at Charlottesville, which uh, this is not any comparable to what happened in Charlottesville. Yeah, someone died in Charlottesville. Yeah, somebody drove a car into a protester, and a group of protesters, and, then and then killed one. And it wasn't also an adult. And our president then said there were bad people on both sides. Right. He couldn't come and out. And good people on and both good, sides. He yeah. couldn't even come out and condemn Nazis. So there, you do not use this one incident that's happening in Washington to all of a sudden retroactively forgive or retroactively say you had everything else wrong up to this point. So right. the right is also manipulating this situation, manipulating this event to their benefit as well. Sure, sure. There was an overreach by the people who posted this initially and and the people who commented on it. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Let's talk about this idea of narratives for a second. We all tell ourselves personal narratives to make sense out of our lives. All the time. To make sense out of our lives, to give our lives meaning. We have to. Now, depending on who you are, sometimes those narratives can be more or less complicated. Uh, and what happens then is we like it in general. People feel gratified when their narrative of things is reinforced. And so propaganda works the best when it's aimed at somebody who wants to believe it. Uh, and, of course, propaganda implies that there's a little bit of lying going on here. There's some shading of the truth. So it's much easier to shade the truth to someone. And, and again, if we want to talk about any uh, teenager and, 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 you know, all our listeners were probably, some of you are teenagers, but all of you were at one point. You know, it's easier to lie to your parents if they uh, want to believe the lie you're telling. Right. You know, mom, I really was at the dance at right. 12 o'clock. When maybe, and mom wants to believe that because you're a good kid. Yeah, you're a good kid. And, and, and so, uh, and, and this is what happens uh, it, 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 these narratives go around, they reinforce uh, 
who we like to believe we are. Maybe we want to see it in this case. Maybe we want to see ourselves as really anti-discrimination. Uh, uh, We're not bigots. We're not racist. We hate the history of racism. Uh, maybe, you know, white, white males, we think, are the perpetrators of a lot of this stuff. And we just, you know, that it's like there's a little piece of candy there for you. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a little reinforcement for that. And, but, of course, it's a simplification. Like, oh, it's, it's not the reality. And I think that's important to remember. And the same thing happens on, on the right. Yeah, and what I, to speak about that narrative and how it fits into your what you see, one of the more disturbing posts I saw was from a teacher, and it wasn't a teacher I knew. And they said, I've been teaching 30 years. I know that smart-ass grin. Really? You've just taken a kid. In seven seconds, you have labeled him a smart-ass kid because he's grinning. You should, be, you should be embarrassed to say that as a teacher of 30 years, that you're going to judge a 16-year-old based on seven seconds. Um, you know, as a parent, I have three children, and my youngest um, smiles when he gets in trouble. When you yell at him, or he, he just does. He has a nervous tick, and he just smiles, and he sort of giggles a little bit. He can't help it. It's not something he wants to do. It's just how it comes out. Um, and if you were dealing with my son, you would think he's being disrespectful. He's not. It's just a, it's just part of his personality that you have now. So that that disappointed me when I saw one of my own judge a child, and it's, it is a child. It's a, you're a child at sixteen, right? Um, in seven seconds, you were able to. He's a smart ass kid. Hence, he's a racist. Hence, he's a bad kid. That that bothered me uh, from one of my own. And I, well, I'm on this topic of on the, go. I want to go veer off here a little bit too and say this. Um, Something else occurred to me while watching this, that this outrage machine that came alive, like, oh, how dare you judge him? And he would, you just, well, maybe now you know how black men feel for the last hundred years. You know, white America um, loses their mind because this kid was misjudged. What happened to Trayvon Martin in, Phil- in Florida when he was shot for wearing a hoodie because he was at- in the wrong neighborhood? How many black men have been stopped and frisked? How many black men have oh, been yeah. mis- have been <laughs> judged or been followed into a store simply because of what they look like? You are outraged because this happened to you. And in a whole part of our cult communities, it happens on a weekly basis to some people. Um, well, and- I, I like what you're saying. I, I, it, the fact is that's true. Uh, uh, this is how, ha- you know, this happened to this group of young white people. Unfortunately, there is some pushback because yes. it was the way they were characterized is wrong. Was wrong. It was unfair. But we routinely do that to other parts of the community, too. And sometimes there isn't that pushback. There isn't that uh, correcting of the of the record. That that shows that maybe this there's a little bit more to this story that you guys need to know about. Right. So I think the moral of the story here is don't be so quick to judge. Um, I often tell people like I, I give some when I, I I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, and uh, one of my the advice I give to all my student teachers is when they when a if a parent ever questions them, I always say assume you're wrong. Just assume everything they're saying is correct 
because it'll give you a different perspective. Then you can come back and view things as a whole. And you may not be wrong and they may be wrong. But if you don't take the time to view it from their perspective, you won't be able to see the whole of the ground and you'll defend something that maybe you shouldn't be defending and you won't be a better teacher from because of it. And I think that's good advice for anyone. Maybe just for 10 or 15 seconds, assume that you're wrong to give yourself the opportunity to see the other side of the story. Absolutely. And looking at this, you should uh, and, and, and not only assume that you might not know, know all the facts about whatever given incidents, but and, and this is the harder part that. Because eventually it'll work into this. Don't think you know everything as a person. The narrative you tell yourself is just that. And it comes out of your experiences as a, as a human being, what your parents told you to believe. Uh, you know, if you're lucky, you get, you get educated. Uh, maybe some of the books you've read. Uh, what your friends are experienced, if you're lucky to have good friends. But the, your narrative is necessarily incomplete as a human being. It has to be. What, you know everything? Right. You've been everywhere. You've done – so. I think we get really, really firmly attached to that narrative. And anything that challenges it, we get up in arms. I know that there was a pushback on the pushback of this. There were a lot of people uh, saying, well, no, why why in the world are we not uh, trying to exonerate these white kids? They're bad. You know, and it really irritated him that the narrative might not be as simple yeah. as what – but it wasn't as simple. I mean, you can't really argue that – it wasn't as simple as it was presented in that seven-second video that got everybody up, upset. And and that's something you know, I, I try – you know, I've lived quite a long time. I've lived in a lot of different countries. I think I'm fairly well-educated. And it, it's a, it takes a conscious effort to say, well, you know, I certainly don't know everything. I certainly need to listen here maybe. And somebody might have had this experience that I haven't had. And then I've never uh, uh, um, gone through, and maybe I need to to listen to this. And I think it's in the end you feel better. You do. You feel better. This is, you know, this outrage machine on both sides, and this and this this fighting on, you know, then there's fighting in the comments on. And nothing ever gets resolved, does it? <laughs> nothing. Did no. you ever see a big resolution to this and no. to this issue? Uh, and I, I really like that. Just uh, and, and assume that you might not know everything about the situation, and assume in generally you don't know everything about human life. Who knows everything about po- politics? You know what should we do about? I always think about Social Security. How hard that is to to figure out with an aging population, and yet you need the benefits and. And a lot of people, that's their only retirement, but you have fewer. How do you settle? And, and I think it needs a whole bunch of input from a whole lot of different people. And I still don't know what to do about it, let alone something that's going on everywhere as long as human beings, which is relationships between people who are different. Absolutely. I mean, you, you tell me when when all that's figured out and you, you let me know. Uh, somehow, I don't think white males were responsible for for all the bad things that have happened. And yet, I do know white males were responsible for some Really bad things that happen, but that's not the whole story. The whole story is a broad one. All right, excellent. So we're going to chop it off right there, guys. Uh, if you think we missed something, if you'd like to add to our story, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, check us out at History Politics and Beer at Gmail. Uh, give us a ring there, or you can check us out on Facebook. We have a Twitter page. You can tweet out to us. Uh, until next time, thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>